Uh, we have been working our way through the parables of Jesus. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be spending time in three parables. And the reason why we're doing that is because Jesus presents them all in a row. Because the point of these three parables is really kind of singular. And what, we find these in Matthew 24 and 25. In those two chapters, Jesus begins to t- teach his disciples about the second coming of Jesus at the end of the age, which must have been kind of a bizarre thing to talk to Jesus about when he's standing right there in front of you. Jesus is instructing his disciples on the fact that he was going to die, be crucified, be buried, rise again, and then there was going to be a a period of time where he would not be present physically on the earth, unless you count through the Holy Spirit. But he was saying that he was going to be coming back. And so in these um, two chapters, he devotes time to teaching them about the second coming of Jesus. And he does that through telling these three parables. The first is the parable of the wicked servant. That's found in Matthew 24, 45 through 51. And then in the beginning of the next chapter, we find the parable of the ten virgins, which is followed immediately by the parable of the talents. And in the midst of these stories is a truth which, to the uninitiated, might be kind of startling. Christians believe. We really do. It's a... It's a it's a main belief that Christians have that Jesus is coming back, maybe even today, bodily. We believe that Jesus is going to come back in person, that the trump will sound, the clouds will part, and Jesus is going to return. And that has a profound impact on the way Christians view the world and live their lives. Maybe this Sunday is the very last chance I will ever have to preach the gospel from this pulpit. And there are maybe ears here this morning for whom this will be the last time ever to respond to the gospel. The date of the promised day when Jesus returns has been set and is even now fast approaching. It will be a day of reward for those who have put their trust in Jesus for salvation and have followed him. And it will also be a day of wrath for those who have rejected the free offer of salvation and remain under the curse of their sins. The Bible tells us that although no one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' appearing, it will arrive like a thief in the night at a moment we do not expect. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus instructs his disciples concerning his appearing at the end of the age. And again, nestled here in the midst of that wider teaching are these three parables told in succession. And taken together, they instruct us powerfully on how we should live in light of the promise that Jesus is coming back for us. It's a bit of a long passage of Scripture. But of course, what God has said in his word is of greater value than anything I might add to it. So I'm going to go ahead and read these parables. And you can follow along in your Bibles. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We begin Matthew 24, verse 45. Who then is the wise, and who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. 
Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Then we come to the third and last parable regarding the second coming of Jesus. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." 
Now, on the surface, these three parables seem to be different from one another, uh, but their collective impact points us to the same ideas. All three parables speak of a window of time, and that really does represent the age in which we're living while we wait for the return of Jesus. All three parables point us to the inevitability of Jesus' return and the impending judgment. And all three stories exhort us to be ready and to look on the opportunities and the challenges of today in light of the promised day that is surely coming. And all three contrast faithfulness and unbelief, wisdom and folly, unpreparedness and indifference. And really, without swerving into exaggerated or overwrought language, those features highlighted in these parables are the defining characteristics of what sets apart true, authentic believers from non-believers. Christians live with an expectation that Jesus will return. They're eager for that day. And the way they're living today makes sense in light of that promised day. So these three parables, when combined, gives us one clear and powerful message. Mark 13, in a parallel passage, says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. You don't know. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So be ready, be faithful. Uh, I told you before, Sarah and I were a camp romance. I met her out in Southern California. She's my California poppy that I plucked and brought to the frozen north. Pray for Sarah. She went from flip-flops to boots, you know. And, uh, but when we were first dating, I was living in Vermont. She was living in the Los Angeles area. We had this long distance relationship for a span of many years. I thought about bringing the big box full of our letters, you know, it's a very, it would have been a very impressive visual. But those letters were written in a time between, as it were, uh, not to make Jesus' story about Sarah's and my story, and it's a much, very poor analogy. But when I think back to those times, I had this time where Sarah and I fell in love and we started dating and we were together. And then a long span of years where I had the memory of that and the joyous, hope-filled anticipation of when we would be back together. And in the middle of that time, we wrote scads of letters. This was in the days right before, right on the cusp of when email and that sort of was about to start happening, but hadn't really happened yet. I remember to make a phone call cost like a million dollars back then. <laughs> Seemed like it. And I had not two nickels to rub together. So we'd buy calling cards, that kind of thing. We'd write letters. But church, we're living in the days between the two comings of Jesus. And the Christian life is marked always by looking back and looking forward. Consider Titus 2, 11 through 14. 
Look at how the flow of this passage goes. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now that sentence is backward looking. It's looking back to the grace of God that brings salvation and it's appearing in the world, that being Jesus when he came. And then it goes on to say, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The present age, that's today. So we look backward. That powerfully informs how we live in the present. And then the next verse, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In that short span of verses, we see this thing that happens so often in the Christian life. We look back at the example of Jesus that informs how we live in the present, and how we live in the present is also forward-looking to this coming day of reward. I think it would be fair to say on the basis of passages like this that the incentive and power to live the Christian life comes from two directions. It comes from looking back with gratitude at the first coming of Jesus, and it comes from looking forward with hope to the glory of God that will appear at the second coming when we enter into the fullness of all that's been promised to us. So yeah, it's looking back to Jesus, whose words and example, his life and ministry are faithfully recorded for us in our Bibles. And all of his example, his words, his commands, all that he taught, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the midst of this present age. He showed us the way. And now as Christians, we walk in the light of his example But we also remember that after Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again, he appeared to his disciples, and then he ascended into heaven. His disciples watched as he went up, and after he disappeared from sight, two angels appeared to them and said, here it's Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So yeah, today we live... In the days between the first and second coming of Jesus. In the first advent, he came as the grace of God that brings salvation, a sacrificial lamb. But in the second advent, he will not return as a lamb, but as a lion, a judge, and a king to rule. And it's interesting to me here in the midst of these three parables, we find kind of a very poetic description of heaven and hell. For example, when he says to the servants uh, who, who were faithful, says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I think there's a world of ideas hanging off of this kind of language from Jesus. And then we read, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think of the very sobering, chilling words that the bridegroom says to the women who didn't have enough oil for their lamp. I never knew you. Uh, Very much a, 
similarly, a very similar language to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that on that day, speaking about the day of Christ, many will come to him saying, didn't we do this, didn't we do that? And he'll say, I never knew you. So here we find these descriptions. So clearly what he's talking about is of eternal consequence. It's sober. Now, I think having this eternal perspective, this perspective on the coming of Jesus at the end of the age, uh, many things are benefit the Christian from having this kind of focus. One, knowing that Jesus is coming back encourages us to endure suffering in this life. And we see this in these three uh, parables. For example, in John 16, it says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, we read, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So I think this is one thing to keep in mind. One of the great I was just talking about this with my friend Jay Ellis in our time of prayer here this morning. One of the great benefits of suffering is that it pulls back the curtain and reveals this world for what it is. I think coming up as a younger person, I didn't long for Jesus' return the way that I should. And one, that was a failure of imagination on my part. One, as I just couldn't quite conceive of how excellent that would be. Maybe I, I still can't. I still struggle in my mind to, to apprehend how glorious and excellent will be the kingdom that we, those pleasures at the right hand of God that we enter into. The other thing, though, and Jay and I were talking about this morning, was I couldn't see that, but I also didn't yet see this world for what it was. I didn't see this world as clearly as I should. And over the years, God has disabused me of the rosy view I had of the world, And one of the ways he's accomplished that has been through the gracious gift of allowing suffering to enter my life, so that I might long for the coming world. I might long for the return of the king. So one thing that having a knowledge of the soon return of Jesus is it helps us endure suffering. It also encourages us to reject sin. Uh, There is a strong pull on all of our hearts this morning towards the things of this world. Uh, that's just a, a truth that maybe I'm, I don't, I guess I should, all, I can't speak for other people, but as I observe the world, as I observe my own inner world, there is a strong pull towards sin. And the knowledge that Jesus is coming back um, helps me say no. James 5.9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 2 Peter 3, we read these words, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So we know this beforehand. Don't get carried away. I told you Sarah and I started, had a long-distance relationship. Um, when I first went out to Camp Maranatha for the summer, I had two roommates. 
One of them, his name was Glenn. <laughs> and Glenn had a girlfriend named Sarah at the time. I probably shouldn't tell this story. <laughs> okay, is Glenn, Glenn, is Glenn in the hall today? Okay, good, we're all right. But while we were working on staff, Glenn started dating another girl. And the night before Sarah came up to camp, he kept us up all night long going, guys, I have a problem. I'm dating this one girl, but my girlfriend from back home is coming up tomorrow. What am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'll swoop in and take your girlfriend. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. But many people are living like this, right? They, at least with lip service, they say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my king. I'm living for him. But then they say to themselves, that day is delayed, it's not coming, and essentially they start dating the world. They enter into this full-blown love affair with the world. And if they knew the day or the hour, they would, of course, change. But it's a time of testing as well. And the last thing that the knowledge of the return of Jesus does is it encourages us to make the most of these days. James 5, 7 through 8, speaking about the second coming of Jesus, says this, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Uh, the, what these three parables inform us is to make good use of the time. You know, in, this, in the parable of the talents, when the master gives to the one the five talents, to the one the two talents, and to the one one talent, he leaves for an indefinite period of time. They don't know how long he's going to be gone. But did you notice in the text, it says of the ones with five talents and two talents that they went immediately and started to work towards getting a return on that investment. In other words, they didn't say, well, hey, let's wait. You know, let's put this off. Let's procrastinate. That's probably what I would do. They go right to work immediately because they didn't know. They didn't know if he'd be back next week or next year or in a decade. They went right to work. Now, here's the thing of these parables. I want you to see. Um, and I'm almost done. In the first parable, the one where the servant says to himself, my master is delayed. And then he, of course, he goes on to beat up the other servants and he's partying. In that parable, Jesus is showing us the folly of thinking that the Lord will not return soon. There is a certain kind of folly that says Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon. And then the second parable, the one where we have the ten virgins, but five didn't bring enough oil for their lamps, well, that shows us the folly of presuming that it will be soon. The problem with the servant in the first parable and the five foolish virgins in the second parable is that they thought they knew when the Lord would return. The first parable, he thought, it's way off in the future. The second one, he thought, well, it's going to happen right quick, for sure. And both, is, both are presumptuous. 
Jesus is careful to tell his disciples that nobody knows the day or the hour. Those who presume that the Lord's coming is a long ways off might think, while the cat's away, the mice will play. And those who think that the Lord's return will be very soon may not cultivate the endurance and patience necessary to follow Jesus faithfully over the span of decades. Uh, And that's really needed. Uh, Very often, I'm very struck by the prayer in, in Colossians, I'm sorry, where he prays for the Colossian church that they would have, they'd be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, that they might have great endurance and patience. Uh, Somebody, we need endurance and patience for a long haul kind of a thing. And so I think the second lesson is surprising. I think we all intuitively grasp the first scenario, where if we think it's going to be a long time, and then we start to live like he's not coming back, well, then we'll be caught. (laughs) But the second one is also presumptuous. Uh, There are some people who have not cultivated that endurance and patience in the Christian life. They don't maintain disciplines uh, for a long-term thriving in the faith. The third parable, though, the one about the talents serves to illustrate the importance of remaining faithful regardless of when the Lord returns. Some things have been entrusted to us to steward while the master is away. We're all gifted in various ways. Emile Zola, the artist, said, The artist is nothing without the gift, but the gift is nothing without hard work. And of course, that's true. So the first parable commends the virtue of expectantly waiting for Jesus' return. The second parable is a lesson about waiting for him with endurance and patience. And the third is a reminder that we must keep diligently working while we wait for his appearing. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And my prayer is that when Jesus comes back, he would find State Road actively working to bring in a harvest in these last days. And I just want to encourage you, State Road, that is my understanding of who you are as a people today. I don't think that can be said for anybody all the time. But I want to just acknowledge together in our family meeting here this Sunday morning that I think what God has put together here in our church is really special. And it's unique in some ways to my experience growing up in churches. Uh, We have a fellowship here that I feel like in the mean, really, in the main, really means it. Uh, It's a real blessing to serve here as pastor. I uh, compare notes with a lot of other pastors and Um, Really, there's just an incredible spirit of service here. People serve in many diverse and varied ways and have been really impressed. And then sometimes we credit that to the county work ethic. I don't think so. (laughs) It's a movement of the spirit, maybe helped by the county work ethic. But I would just say this. uh, A pastor I once heard to said that an unguarded strength is a double weakness. And I think what God has brought about here in our midst with so many people serving in different ways 
um, is something that needs to be nurtured and invested one generation to the next. And so I, I just would encourage you to keep doing it. It says here, let us not grow weary of doing good. Uh, my, my concern for State Road is not so much that how am I going to get these people serving? Because many of you really are already. Is how, how can we keep these people not f- to not grow weary in their good doing? Uh, I think it's very easy to become discouraged, <laughs> to not see much results, to not be able to draw the connection between if I go down and help clean out the kitchen... How does that exactly relate to kingdom objectives at Camp Nomaka? But I want us to not grow weary of doing good. Uh, Now is the, I hope the day of Jesus' return is soon. Uh, My hope and my prayer is that when he returns, he will find us serving the kingdom faithfully. And I think it's a real blessing that here uh, among us, at least in, in my, from my perspective, maybe I'm blind to certain things, but there's not a lot of beating up our fellow servants. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for when that does seem to manifest that everybody's quick to, <laughs> to shut that down, to confront that in love. I don't think there's a lot of partying going on. I think people generally are eager to invest in the kingdom. And I think there's a long slog. Many of you have borne this out over the span of years. As I get to know you, I'm very impressed at how many years of service uh, many of you have invested. And you're uh, seeking a return on what God has uh, given to you to steward. So that's the encouragement. Uh, The other thing, though, I would just point out is that there are folks who uh, aren't there yet. And so here in the midst of this I would just really encourage you that part of thriving in the Christian life is love and action. How do your gifts line up? How has your creator God made you to worship him through service? I think one of the most joyous things to awaken to in the Christian life is an understanding of how God made you to fit within the whole. And um, maybe today you're just, you are eager to find your place. You want to know how you fit. You want to know how you can serve. And uh, talk to me, talk to Pastor Andrew, our pastor of missional living. He would maybe have some helpful ways of pointing you towards finding your, your place where you fit. Um, but just would encourage you that Jesus is coming back. And on that day, there, um, you know, I, I just, there are going to be people who have a way bigger pile of rewards than me, and I think I'll just have the ability to celebrate that. <laughs> I'm so excited um, for his return, looking forward to it. Uh, So that's the lesson for this morning out of God's word. Jesus is coming back, and there is a folly in presuming it's a long ways off. There's a folly in presuming it will be soon enough that you don't need to invest in spiritual disciplines. And regardless of the time, whether it be short or long, uh, we should be faithful to use what God has stewarded us in the midst of these days to make a gospel impact. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do just want to thank you for State Road Advent Christian Church. I thank you for the believers that you've brought together here. And Father, um, I just have been blessed so much 
um, by the cheerful servants here in the midst. And Father, all the time you're drawing people here into the orbit of State Road, and they're learning about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And Father, our, our living out of the Christian life is of, is, of course, informed from these two directions. God, we look back at the amazing example of Jesus, the one who said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And of course, God, that informs how we live the Christian life here together at church, as a church family. And Father, we also are helped by looking forward to the promised day. Father, knowing that there is a day coming helps us live in the midst of these days in a way that's faithful, in a way that helps, it helps us to say no to the world. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would constantly be drawing our attention in these two directions, back towards the grace of God that appeared in Jesus, and also forward, God, to looking to the second coming. And God, as in the days that you have for us, whether they be short or many, Father, I pray that we would use them well for your glory and for the advance of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.